0: Welcome to the Gamers Over 50 podcast. This is episode 46, Commodore 64 software. In the last podcast, we talked about a lot about the Commodore 64, how it came about, why it was better than, say, other computers in its same class, how it kind of competed with computers that cost more. Talked about how it affected the industry, the hardware, why it was good. Um, in and, and that general area. Now, with computers, hardware always needs software. Again, software always needs hardware. So let's talk a little bit about the Commodore 64 software. And we can talk in depth on games. We can talk about how many games have played but there was a lot more to do on the Commodore 64 than just games. You had music, you had programming where you could, you know, develop programs. You could use tools. We talked about Fortran, Pascal, some other languages. Uh, You have obviously games, but you had business applications. uh, You had utilities that you could use, uh, applications to do things, maybe non-business, maybe for the hobbyist at home. And then how did that software... Get used. And I say that from get used by how did uh, did you uh, acquire it? Let's talk about that. I don't want to use this as a, how did you hack it? Because it wasn't really hacking. We didn't hack the planet until sneak, you know, the whole sneakers and the hackers movies came out in the mid nineties. But talking about this is how did people get a copy of a software program? Did they pay for it? Mm, Maybe not. Did they download it? Mm, Probably not. We didn't really have a, a, a viable internet for doing those types of things but we'll talk a little bit about the cracking and how people got a hold of those so let's just jump in to applications utilities and business software and what's really interesting about this is everyone complained about the commodore 64 slow dish drives the problem with it is you could have had something like a tape cassette For pulling that information off. And yes, people use tape cassettes to store data as magnetic media, no different than your computer's hard drive. Uh, But, you know, that was much slower on those. But it was very difficult because you had you know, the slow disk drive, which made doing real business computers. So you wouldn't see people on Wall Street running their Commodore 64s. And you wouldn't see doctor's offices running Commodore 64s for maybe some stuff. They might do it for some billing and things like that. But for many important tasks outside of that, like desktop publishing, word processing, creating graphics, the Commodore 64 is a pretty powerful tool and you had names like koala painter which if you've ever used microsoft paint koala painter was very similar to that where you could paint and people would develop amazing graphics out of this you also had things like the newsroom and i remember seeing the newsroom uh, a friend of mine wanted to to be a, a in the new newspaper right so uh, newsroom was awesome because they could create kind of the the columns and the spacing to create your own newspaper, in effect, at home or for maybe a neighborhood, which, you know, as many HOAs as there are now, there's probably a newspaper. I know that I belong to one and they have a wonderful PDF I get. But the newsroom was something you could throw into people's mailboxes. And it was also really cool because it used light pens and CAD software. So CAD is computer aided drafting. So you could put it together and see it. Now, also, I'd be remiss without talking about maybe the greatest software program ever in our household growing up as, uh, and and this is an homage to my mother who used the heck out of it. And I can't say hell, Oh, I just did. I can't say that bad word of how she used it because she used it a ton, but Print Shop. If you've never seen Print Shop, um, Print Shop was the predecessor to things like Microsoft Publisher and so many other tools where you could create a banner and I mean a banner, like happy birthday banner, or you could create a one pager for like a recipe or a menu or an invite. Uh, print shop was so heavily used in our household. And I can tell you to this day, the, uh, the Christmas wreath was probably the most used icon ever. In our house, uh, but it, it, the print shop was great because you could you could do something like print out. Normally, you have to go buy like these cheesy birthday card things, but you could create your own, or you could create an announcement. Of somebody just had a baby, and you could you know sometimes as people, if you'd ever been able to upload a picture on your uh, computer, which some people may have had a, a graphics tablet, you could do those type of things. There were tons of of word processors. Ace uh, Writer, Visorite out there, Paperclip that were really, really kind of cool and you could write a lot of papers. I knew, think of it this way. Nowadays, kids write everything on their computer. We were able to write it and print it out. And if you were lucky enough to have a non-dot matrix printer, it didn't look have little edges, but if you did have the edges, it was kind of like cool. Additionally, you had, um, Things like MultiPlan, And I think we talked about multi-plan in the last podcast that Microsoft created a basic uh, precursor to Excel and they ported it over to the Commons 64. And see, so there was a time when Microsoft would make software for anything because they were trying to become, well, what they are today. So you have a lot of that. Additionally, you had programs called like Geos, which was a graphical user interface. So think about what we do on our computers now, Windows. Well, prior to Geos, you had to type everything in. You had to learn basic commands and how to load software. You had to use peek and poke to to do things. And so with Geos, well, you could point and click, which we all take for granted nowadays. And we're all probably going to have horrible, horrible, horrible arthritis in our pointer fingers or our mouse fingers. I try to switch hands on that one. But the software was really amazing that you could build this. And then because of the Commodore 64, remember it had three channels on the sound, the music was built out there. And there was a title called Music Construction Set. And I know this because a friend of mine, Todd, who had a Commodore 64, had the music construction set, and he made me listen to his renditions of Rush. And it's not that I don't like Rush, but I've heard it so long, it's kind of like... um, if you eat something so many times, you just don't want to do it. Or if you're in college and you drink something, Southern Comfort, too much and get sick on it, you probably never want to taste it ever again in your life. I thought that was going to be tequila, too, but it ended up being Southern Comfort, which I'm okay with because tequila is still great in a margarita, delicious. And even in the margarita mix without tequila is still good. But the music construction set with Rush drove me crazy because we listened to it all over and over. I'm like, oh, look, I'm tweaking this and I'm making it better. But you could do that. You could take music or you could write your own music and you could build out all those pieces. Now, I talked about the tape cassettes. I talked about the discs. I also want to talk about the cartridges because there were some cartridges in the very beginning. And think of a cartridge as you may have put into, like, your original NES Nintendo system, your Atari. Um, You may see them out there, the E.T. cartridge. Originally, they had cartridges that they were putting in to this, but the problem was those cartridges did not have as much space as as a disk did. Or you could have multiple disks so you could load your program and you could load utilities in for your program as well. So you had a lot of these as well. Now, the last piece of this and anyone who's ever watched war games will know. And if you you have to figure out what kind of computer he had, I could tell you which kind, but I don't want to um but go and figure it out that's your trivia question for the week and i thought about adding a couple trivia pieces in here because there have been some good ones the commodore 64. but there was also a program called sam from the commodore 64 which will allow it to speak to you which was really kind of crazy right because when a machine started talking to us okay yes not the terminators and not the end of the world kind of stuff but it was where it was making voice sounds very cool stuff all right so that's business software. We spent good time on business software, but that's what's crazy about it is that computer got us all started typing and working on graphics and things like that to the point nowadays where we just fire out a PowerPoint or we write a paper. You know, I know I, I use probably Outlook as my w- editor for most everything I write because I write a lot of emails. But it's very interesting that that was all built on these word processing programs. Okay. So by 1985, the number of games out of Commodore 64 software was 60 to 70% of course, because games drive this. I heard a, I heard a very interesting factoid. I don't know if it's true, but it it's for technology is that games and adult software. I'm not saying what it really is. you know what it is drive? technological technological advancements such as like, you know, VR and they drive faster processes. You need to have more realistic games, right? So you see every time an Xbox comes out for new, it's got the newest, best processor and, and everything. And in fact, there's a huge, hilarious, well, it's hilarious, pick a show where they have tech, but they make fun of like, oh, the best memory. But for the Commodore, a lot of games were put into this. And that was because of the sound and that graphic hardware we talked. Uh, in the last podcast but it was just really really made it more of an entertainment platform than a serious business computer now you could still write a paper and go play yourself some lemmings. you could write a paper you could listen to music over your your machine but the games flooded the market. why because younger people play more games. It's true it fits it goes across the board most games are built for younger people but, What's interesting is they believe there were 23,000 unique game titles for the Commodore 64. And we're going to talk about that because I said last podcast there were only 12,500. We're going to talk about how that kind of came around in the next one. But you had these, you know, cartridge games. Very few of them were released. And most of the third-party games were very names we would hear today. Well, maybe not Llamasoft, but Llamasoft was huge, which was huge. But Activision, Atari Soft, which Atari was the, the groups. And what's interesting was the when the Commodore first came out, they had a when they developed a game system, they had more cartridges because you couldn't break into the cartridge and recreate a copy of the cartridge like you could with a floppy disk. And we'll talk again. I told her we're gonna talk about that. Um, and the reason why there weren't as many cassette games is because they're just slow and it took forever. Okay, what was really interesting about most of the Commodore 64 game uh, tools were there were so many small companies that just sprouted overnight. So you had somebody write a game and throw it out there. And it was just, you know, you'd have groups like Epics who created games. You had other groups um, like, you know, Codemasters who created stuff only on, you know, tape cassettes. What was very interesting of this Commodore 64 where you had editors in games. So it was the first time I ever saw a game where you could change the board. So you had like construction sets, like pinball construction sets, or we had this one called S-E-U-C-K. We're gonna talk about that near the end here. We're gonna get a little closer to this section. But a lot of those games came out from these folks who just popped up overnight. Um, What was very, very interesting about this as well is that you had games that were just blowing people's minds. Like Epics. I brought them up again. They had a multi-event game. It was the first multi-event game I'd ever seen because it had summer games, the winter games, the world games, and California games. And they're really, really popular. And they created games like Pit Stop. And what was interesting is you could go to the arcade and play Pit Stop. In the cabinet and getting behind to drive it, or you could play Pit Stop at home, or you could Pit Stop on your Atari. You could play Pit Stop everywhere. Crazy game. Um, a lot of these games were also put onto the joystick unit. You could just buy and plug into your TV. Now, what's really really neat is that you had other games that were created that were just on you know simple. Somebody put stuff together and said, "Hey, you know Thalamus is going to create a uh, a game called Turrican 1 and 2. And what's interesting is those games went crazy good because they were high rated, because they were neat. They were interesting, the concepts around them. Additionally, we had stuff like Ultima and Bard's Tale, which were the first RPG on computers. So anyone who plays World of Warcraft or has played the Witcher games or anything, Monster Hunter, I think Monster Hunter does a little RPG in there. But if you played an RPG, these games all started out right here now what's also really kind of cool is like i said you had these other guys like Hewson and graffold who created games like iridium and they were created because they had these awesome soundtracks like a metallic bass. so not metallica but like a bass that you would hear it and you know it's an addictive gameplay what was also very cool is that you had the best rated game ever kind of came out in 1993. And what we've talked about this, like we said 1985, right above. And then we talked about 1993, but it received a hundred percent and it was never, ever thrown out there as like a 99, like we'd see, but it was tiled to mayhem and Munsterland," land. And it was, you know, had some really cool programming tricks and quirks. So all the time while we were learning from 85 to 93, things were growing. And, you know, they talk about it as the, you know, Impressive use of non-standard colors and scrolling for one of the most graphically stunning games ever produced. And they said it was a lot like Nintendo's Super Mario and Sonic the Hedgehog. So there you go. There was a, a, a there was a Commodore 64 that competed with our Super Mario Sonic the Hedgehog. All right. Now what's really kind of cool is that people are still developing games for the Commodore 64 today there's probably someone writing a lineup code for the Commodore 64 right now now they don't really sell all the games sometimes they may upload it sometimes they create those items and they move their platform over and put it on an iOS or an Android but they really put that back now my favorite games were from epics and I talked about them: the summer winter world and California games and you get to do all the normal stuff like skiing and your swimming and, your, you know, regular Olympic games, track and field. But what's cool is in California games, you get to have hacky sack and surfing and half pipe. And it blew my mind because it was just like, oh, cool. We can do all this new stuff because half pipe was new. Surfing would become new for us as a sport. And, and hacky sack was like a big deal. Ask anyone in the 90. They still, they probably have one. I know I have two or three and I, my kids are addicted to playing the California games. And I think it's called Bean Sack or something like that instead of Hacky Sack. But also I remember seeing Zork. And if you've ever heard of Zork, it was a text-based game. It was one of the first text-based games I saw. And it just kind of blew my mind because it was like, oh, you have to type in travel north, look around, pick up bucket. And I loved that game as as well as Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy do not watch the movie if you're trying to beat the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy game though you will not beat it you got to read the book so i read the book which was fantastic it's a great book if you're really looking for a kind of an interesting cool book get it but both of those games helped me write my own games and learn how to write games in basic so basic simple coding go to go sub right print, which would put stuff up on the screen, not sent to a printer, which everybody think is a printer. Um, but a lot of it was m- my character would walk into the desert and he fell into a, a set of tunnels that was kind of like a, uh, an anthill. And, you know, he went around and he had to work his way back out and save himself. So that was kind of my game when I came up with it. Feel free to steal the idea. Give me credit. I love it. I'll even sign boxes for people. Um, but other really cool, awesome games were Lemmings. If you've never seen Lemmings, it's prede—it's a predecessor. You-, you could play Lemmings and go, oh my gosh, it's like this and this and this and this. And Pit Stop, like I said, driving games. It was the first really cool driving game. And the sound on it was awesome. And finally, the Star Wars game. And this is an homage for my friend Kate, who actually has one of these Star Wars cabinets. But you could play Star Wars game. On the Commodore 64. In fact, you can go to archive.org and play the Star Wars game. Um, and it was just fantastic. And, you know, it's funny is I didn't have a Commodore 64 until someone in the mid-90s. I got it at a yard sale and it had drives and it had a bunch of software. But I'd play this at friend's house or I'd see this somewhere if somebody was playing it or we'd talk about it. Game software was fantastic. All right. So let's talk a little bit about we business. We talked games. Automation. What else is there? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the coolest part of this era of computer technology, and as we adopted it, were we had these things called type-in programs. And what a type-in program was, you would buy a magazine, and they would have the code like over five or six pages. And if you know, nowadays I need readers to see this code, but you could go five or six pages type it in and then you could have something like a really cool sunset picture or you could have like tic-tac-toe that was actually did a tic-tac-toe one out of a a magazine because i thought it'd be fun and it was actually kind of fun because my brother and i were like okay let's figure out how to play it he was very young so he got to use computer with us But, you know, typing games were my favorite part of early computing, because you could type it in, like I said, from a magazine. But at the same time, you're typing in, you would figure out functions, you'd learn how to program. You know, nowadays, people pay a lot of money, like to go learn how to program, or they pay college education. There's a lot of money spent on programming. And we were Typing them out of the back of magazines that somebody would take to the library, and you could. This is when you could actually go to the library and get a magazine and bring it home and have it for a couple of days, and then take it back, or you could and save that. Whatever you typed in onto a disk, and then you could share it with your friends. So there was nothing wrong about that. There's always good. Now, what was also really cool was they would have um, these type in magazines and you know there were some there's like compute was one of them um i think there was the ahoy commodore magazine i know computes gazette was another one and he had like run and transactor where other you know magazines you get software from and what was really awesome about this was you know these some of these had you know a disc with them so you'd have a companion disc and you could just put the disc in and play versus having to type the whole thing in Now, they also created books of these programs. So you can probably go somewhere that's an older bookstore or Amazon and find a Commodore 64 books. Um, The disk companions were really cool. And sometimes they have like starter programs and subroutines in them. And, you know, what's funny is they eventually gave way to things like AOL disks. Remember when everyone had AOL disks? I know people who create Christmas trees. Everybody probably knows somebody like that. Um, But this is pre-internet. That you would do this. Okay. Additionally, on some things like we talked about QLink before and CompuServe and bulletin board servers, BBSs, it's, been, it's a long time since it said BBS. Um, but you had a lot of BBS systems that if you had a modem and you could buy a modem and it was like $200 to download and you would start the download um, like Saturday at like two and one in the morning and let it run till five in the morning, you'd set your alarm to go get it. Um, that was fun, but you could connect to those, download stuff. It, you know, was first mass user connecting to these tools, and I remember that noise of the modem, and everybody's probably there is like, whatever. Um, I'm not really good at that one because it goes up and down, but it, it sounded to me like a symphony, like I was hearing Vivaldi or I was hearing Beethoven, and I I still say this to friends today. I'm just like, oh my god, it still blows my mind. How amazing that sounds. Um, and, you know, it's like everything else in life. You you hear something and it is super awesome. And you decide that one day, hey, I want to make that my ringtone. So I've heard a lot of people of that. Okay. So let's talk about a little bit of the bad stuff that came around with this. Um, while we're talking about this. So all this software wasn't free. And you had a lot of people that would do things and they call it software cracking and it was a huge amount of copyright infringement and you know discs you could take a three-hole punch on the disc and you could three-hole punch it and then you know take it over to your friend's house if you had a disk drive and you had a disk drive and you could copy it and then somebody could uh you know eventually somebody would uh your friends would have it and be like oh cool i'm gonna pull you know copy all the software and hand it around to everybody Um, We'll get to talk about that in a second. But, you know, there are workarounds by people we call software crackers or wares groups. W-A-R-E-Z, not wares, but wares groups. And there were a ton of folks out there that would meet. And people would meet like, hey, we're going to meet in the mall. Or we're going to meet at the library. And we'll see who has what software and trade. And this is pre-modem time, right? This is where you would, you know, people... If people who had modems would load stuff up or download it, but people would also mail stuff, which is crazy because it's like totally mail fraud or you come to computer club and somebody would say, hey, I got the new copy of load runner. Who wants to make one today? Because we had dual disk drives at school and boom, everybody got a copy of load runner that day. And that was called a sneaker net and sneaker nets still exist. They exist on key drives and CD ROMs and well, more DVDs and things like that. Um, but they're also, you know, popular utilities. Now, since the status of limitations is way, way, way past putting me into jail for things I might have done when I was 10, I participated in a lot of sneaker netting. And, you know, I, I got later, I downloaded stuff on of bulletin boards. But what's funny is we get some like crack software from a bulletin board almost never worked. And it was really bad. And it made people who had written the code, who are authors, artists, musicians, anyone who was involved in that. They lost money. I agree with the same exact process on movies, TV, music, software, and even password sharing. Quit sharing your damn Netflix passwords, people. I know you're saving the $10 a month, but seriously, don't go to Starbucks for a day a week, you know, a month and you, boom, you pay for it because people are making those things that you guys are sharing and bothering. And I know I sound like somebody's dad here. I'm sorry. But it's true. Just take a little bit of that money, put it aside. Maybe don't do something. I mean, I've I've quit going to Starbucks as they annoyed me to no end. If they're like, you can't get a second cup of coffee unless you're sitting right there. And so, yeah, I got a lot of money. I don't usually use all this. I don't share anything. I don't do any cracking like that. But it was a huge deal, lost people money. And you know what? If I'm going to jail for this, so is a minister and his wife at my church growing up, because they did it as well. In fact, other people gave us free print shop, and then my mother bought it because it had even more fonts in it, and it was even better. So good job, mom. You bought that software. Um, it's horrible, though, but it is really, really good to see this software still alive out on archive.org and things like that. And they're not cracked and they're original versions. And I sincerely hope somebody has allowed people to do that. All right. Last item we're going to talk about last really cool item. That next one is we're going to talk about people's software now is basic. Now basic was right. Oh, code writing tool. It was what came with your computer is how you loaded software and how you formatted disks, how you could, you know, open software, but the basic programming language really didn't make it easy to get into like advanced sound and graphics. So you needed other stuff. And what was really interesting is basic inside of Commodore 64 had what they call peak and poke commands, which allowed were a third party uh, tool or you got a third party tool to get into those. Now, I think the most interesting part about this, and it's maybe a profound effect on our technological advantage that countries like the United States have had over the years uh, and is absolutely dwindling, is that we had tools like these building blocks and these neat levels of technology to build into and create, everyone created a Hello World program. If you're a programmer, you didn't create Hello World, then go create Hello World because it's a cool uh, fraternity sorority. It's a group, group of people that love technology because I have done a hello world on every programming language I've ever, 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 ever have done. Plus it's an easy way to just display something on screen. So you can be like, you know, if you're programming your friends, I be like, Hey, Mitch is a tool. Um, I only did that once or twi- twice, but without these technologies, you know, which, You know, think of Bill Gates and Microsoft at the time and Commodore 64 and Atari and Apple, you know, Steve Jobs and all that stuff all came together to build all these things. And the Commodore 64 made it mainstream for a lot of folks. Now, what's really cool is the development tools and you can still see those development tools that are out there. Now, the best development tool, in my opinion, was called the Shoot'em Up Construction Kit or S-E-U-C-K which could rhyme for something else, but it allowed people who were not used to programming to create shooting games where you could shoot like, you know, uh, the the hot dog people in the candy box and the popcorn in the beginning of the movies. You also had things like Gary kitchen's game maker and arcade construction kit that were developed in graphic adventure, creator development, pinball construction. And all these were very much like cooking, right? Because you have different, kind of dishes that you're creating an apple and commodore 64 more of commodore 64 allowed us to have you know those different dev tools and languages to program in that allowed for folks who were 10 years old at the time or 12 or 15 to do that now don't go buy your kid a silly robot to program on don't get some toy from to learn programming get them something and like a Commodore 64 or go get just a simple basic program and say, Hey, look what you can do. Okay. One of the best parts about this though, was going down and, and researching memory lane and seeing things that I had seen out there before and remembering that I've been a part of a sneaker net and remembering type ins and remembering a lot of games and now starting to play a lot of those games with my kids so if you like the Commodore 64 software, you like the Commodore 64, you know nothing about it, get yourself a C64 Mini. I think they're 40 bucks on Amazon. And have a fun weekend. Until next time.